So, you know, one of the um, when you take a break like we have, we've been we've I didn't speak a couple weeks back, and then we've been in holiday Christmas message, uh, New Year's Day message. So it's been a while. I just want to recap Galatians one. Uh, through three, because we find ourselves in the middle of a chapter finishing it up. And the last time we were in Galatians and left off in 3.18 was almost, it was four weeks ago. So Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian believers who have been told by Judaizers that it's not okay that they're saved and that they gave their lives to Christ. They have to also become Jewish or at the very least, maybe be circumcised or go back to the law, keep the festivals. In other words, they have to do something more, not just 613 do's and don'ts, but that they have to do something other than accept Christ, which is heresy. That's a definition of heresy. If you add anything to Jesus's tab, that is heresy. That is non-truth. That is not the gospel. And so Paul's writing the letter to teach them not only um, who they are really in Christ, but what was the purpose of the law? Like, what was it really for? And we're going to die. We're going to dive into that. But I, I titled the message a captive audience because a captive audience is an audience that cannot escape. They cannot get out of where they're at. And sometimes we put ourselves in captive places because we have to to fly on airplanes and we have to pay six bucks for a bottle of water at the airport when they're a dime at Costco. It's the same water, but we have to pay six bucks because we're a captive audience and you have to throw that water out that you're drinking because it might have C4 in it. On the other side of the thing, it's like, you gotta be kidding me, I'm drinking this right now. Nope, throw it away, it's a bomb. Throw it right next to me, it's a bomb threat. Why do you want it next to you? Just, that's the way it is. No, you guys are being paid by the airport to say that. So, we know that when you go to a ball game, that that hot dog that costs a buck fifty with a Coke at Costco, it's now nine fifty, and possibly eleven fifty if it's an NFL playoff weekend. So that's a captive audience. They know the audience can't leave, can't get out until, in our case, until you pass through, until you hop on the plane and get off, or until the game's over and you go out in the parking lot and the guy's selling waters for a buck and a half, which happens at the baseball field in in uh, Phoenix. So I. I, t- I titled this a captive audience because the, you're, you're going to understand when we talk about the purpose of the law, the captivity of the law. When you think of an animal at the zoo, they call it in captivity. The zoo, in theory, the animal can't get out, though there have been outliers for that. Thank God I've never been around the polar bear that got released. Uh, verse 19, so much in it. It's kind of a longer verse. Paul says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Lots in this. Once again, we talked about um, a few weeks back lawlessness. We talked about why it is that certain people in this country And it's not just one political party, and it's not just one state, it's not just one crazy city, but a lot of people in our country would like to go back to anarchy. A lot of people in our country would like to just do away with the the criminal justice system. A lot of people would like to just, they would just, you know, like the movie Purge. I never saw the movie, just so you know, because I know it's filthy. Um, But that movie is about 
um, allowing people to do whatever they want for 12 or 24 hours or whatever the movie says. So just lock yourself in a steel trap room in your house and let everybody do whatever they want and that'll purge their sin. That's the movie. Now that doesn't go away. And so when they do that, they want more of it. The, the people that don't know God and, and hate his law um, in Genesis, there's account after account of people doing things like this. So when we think about the law being added to this people, specifically this people, because Abraham wasn't under the law, nor was Adam, nor was Eve, nor were their kids. There was no law. They had a relationship with God. They talked to God. But there was no law on the books like the Mosaic law. When we think about the law in our day and in our country, we think about laws that are part of, generally speaking, a local, like a state or a city, that like local ordinance, right? In this town, we've had a problem with this, so we have this ordinance. Uh, when you go to California, then you go to beach cities, a lot of times they say no cruising. I never knew what that meant. Uh, you're not supposed to just keep driving back and forth because you're cluttering up a, a very busy street. And so the police, I've seen police say, hey, we've seen you three times drive up and down this boulevard. Um, if you do it again, we're going to cite you. Wow. Okay. That doesn't happen anywhere else, but it happens there because that's a problem for some reason. So in our society, there's a lot of laws that are on the books, but not enforced. And there's a, actually a funny book about some of the laws that are still on the books in Arizona. And I can't say some of them um, because they're, they're ridiculously offensive to some folks. So I'm not going to say them. But there is, there's a lot of old laws from like the late 1800s that are still on the books. Uh, nobody had the wherewithal to remove them, but they're still there. At the same time, there's a lot of laws on our books, and Arizona knows it better than anybody, that just get ignored. They just don't get enforced. And so it's just like, well, how come this is such a big deal, but this isn't a big deal? Well, because you have humanity, because you have sinful people managing sinful people. That doesn't work. Never has. So God institutes through a mediator. We know from God's word that God is not going to see a sinful person on, on, this, on this earth before Christ. That God was not going to, um, he was not going to, uh, after sin entered, he was not going to have a conversation like Jesus would. Because no man can see God and live because of his holiness. His, his holiness like burns up stuff. It's like that's who the creator of this universe is holy. He just is holy. And so there was a law added through a mediator, an angel. God gave this and the angelic being gave Moses the law and Moses gave the law to the people. And he said, this is God's law. You guys know the Ten Commandments. Some of them are still in the books in this country although not all necessarily enforced, like I said. <laughs> However, why give one? Why give laws? If you know people are going to be breakers of the law, if you know everybody's just going to break the law, why would we give it? Well, the purpose of the law was to give mankind a standard. It was to give us a, a tangible thing that we can look at or we can read or we can be told, hey, you should not go do this. You should not go do that. And a standard that would keep society growing and prospering. And in the Jewish people, the Israelis, alive. Keep people alive. If you read the Genesis account, you realize what happens to people when they live lawlessly. Completely out of control. So when you look at the most lawless cities in our country, because we, we have a pretty good gauge because of media. 
you see some of the most non-religious places. You see some of the, the places where God has been pushed out of everything as far away as he could possibly be, and those cities aren't doing so well right now. And in the 60s, when they took prayer out of the school, it wasn't that many decades later that now we have absolute chaos in our public school systems today. I mean, literally, a six-year-old just shot somebody at a school somewhere. I don't know any of the details. I just saw a sentence. A six-year-old was arrested this week in America for shooting, I believe, a teacher. That is where we are at in the society. So when people go, oh, law, schmaw, do away with it. Stop punishing drug dealers. Stop. Let people out of jail. This is horrible. It's because we don't want to make people feel bad for sin, right? Well, why was the law added? It was added because of sin. It was added because of transgressions. Until the seed should come. That promised seed through Abraham was Christ. So we have the law until Christ lived and died and rose again because he fulfilled the law. So that was the point. Verse 20. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So mediators... Um, it's a go-between. Some people call them liaison. Some people call them um, arbitrators, if you will. There's a, there's, a, there's a conflict, and two people sit down, and the mediator sits there, okay, can you live with this? Can you live with this? And we try to work something out. In our case, we have a conflict, humanity versus God. The conflict is sin. The conflict is we're not listening to God. The conflict is the curse is in this, on the earth and in all of us, and so we need help. A lot of people don't want help. A lot of people, when you tell them they need help, they really get mad at you when you tell them that. You can't do this yourself. Sometimes when you tell a five-year-old that they can't do this themselves, they flip out. Like, that was me. When people would tell me, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm like, no, I don't need any help. And then I would just mess it up more, and then I'd get frustrated. But that's the point of a mediator. A mediator is not just for one person. A mediator goes between God and man, because God is one. So the mediator, God and his son Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, is our complete help. God judges all things because somebody needs to. Christ paid for our sins because somebody needed to. And the Holy Spirit keeps us and teaches us because we need him to. That's the God, but he is not two. He is one. So is the law then against the promises of God? Since the promises were given to Abraham before this, is it against it? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So once again, if there was a law that could give life, that would be one thing. But there wasn't. So righteousness couldn't come through the law. Righteousness, the right standing with God, had to come through God. God had to give it. He had to judge humanity on one end, and that's the part that makes, I mean, the, tr the Trinity is very hard to explain, but that's the part that makes the most sense to me, because the roles are so, like, obvious, because God, the judge, the Father, is going to deal with stuff. A lot of times we don't deal with stuff. A lot of times not dealing with stuff leads to more problems. God isn't that way. So he gives this promise, and the law keeps people until... It captivates. It puts everybody in the same category, every other person. We are, the enemy loves to teach you and I that we're alone, we're the only one, we're the only one that struggles with that, you're over here, everybody else is over there, everybody's better than you. That's, that, I don't know about you, but that's, those are the 
the stuff I hear in my mind. And so there is this idea out there that some are better, that some are better Christians or, well, that person's a little better than you. They're above you, spiritually speaking. There's a pedigree or a pecking order. And God's like, no, all of you are under this. You're all under the law. Verse 22, but scripture, but the scripture has confined all under sin. The scripture condemns all of us. Romans is pretty obvious with, about that. But if you read the Old Testament, you know that we're lawbreakers almost hourly. If we, if we lived back then, we'd need like a goat every hour. But God allowed one at the, uh, at the festival, the atonement, as a, as a picture for what Christ would do. That only one lamb, only one sacrifice, when it was the perfect one, was necessary. That's why there was that. So the scripture has, has confined all of us, captive audience, under sin, that the promise by faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. You know, Shannon was, was talking about that last song. I see the evidence. When, when we are bogged down by details, by life, by conflict, by all the things that, that a lot of us are common to us in this in this uh, culture that we live in, it's very hard for us to push past those things and to look at the actual blessings. I was thinking about this. How is it that without God, that 2,000 years after Christ, I'm up here teaching words that he spoke? When I'm a sports fan, and when I used to talk to my dad's old buddies, they're like, oh, you don't understand, the 50s bears, those, that were, those were the real guys. I'm like, name one. They're like, I can name all of them. I'm like, I've never heard of them. It was like 30 years after they were like rock stars. Now, the reason, I was talking to somebody the other day whose son works for Nike. He's up way up high and knows the guy, Phil Knight, who started Nike. And uh, I said, look, your company, your son's job, his paycheck, which is quite large, um, is the result of Michael Jordan. Just so you know, I'm from Chicago. You're welcome. Um, and I mean, honestly, Michael Jordan's been gone for 20 plus years out of the NBA and he sells more shoes than LeBron James, which is the next guy down, I believe. A guy who's retired since 2001 or two sells more shoes than anybody. And he's, I mean, I never see anything about the guy. I know he's an NBA owner now, but when I think about like kids of today, they know who Michael Jordan is because of shoes. But guys on that same team that were rock stars, the Bulls won six years out of, I think, eight. They won the NBA championship six years out of eight. It was the biggest deal ever. And I know, I mean, people down here that don't even, never had an NBA team really to watch. We're like, oh yeah, Michael Jordan. He's, Michael Jordan's the biggest deal ever. You start to talk about guys like Bill Russell, Kareem, um, some of these other guys from like 50, 60, 70 years back. Almost no kid has heard of them. We're talking about a guy who apparently lived and died and rose again to the novice or to the, to the unbelieving person out in the world, and they know his name, not because they curse with his name in their curse. Jesus is known. There are millions of people who think the Bible's true in this state, let's just say. Millions of people, 2,000 years ago. Let's go back to if basketball was a sport in 1820. Heard of nobody. Let's go back to America, whatever we were doing, I don't know, croquet 300 years ago, or uh, 
cricket? I don't know. Throwing a ball at somebody? I don't know. Some dirt little rag ball? Nobody knows any of these guys from like two, 300 years back. Like the guys that were the biggest deal in the whole society. And a billion plus people right now rely on Christ. Rely on God's word. That is evidence, number one, of the goodness. Number two, it's also this last verse. Given to those who believe. When you think about preparing this type of a message to tell people, hey, you know why you need Jesus? Oh, yeah, why? Because you're a lawbreaker. Ooh, I don't like that. All right, have you ever done anything wrong before? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Can I talk to your parents and ask them if, if you've done something wrong? Because I'm 99.9% sure I could get them on the phone right now and have them give me a list of things you've done wrong. Okay, fine, I'm a lawbreaker. Okay, you need... To be saved from that. You are going to give an account for that. Uh, I don't really know. And you can go through the gospel better than Paul did. And many will walk. And many will go, eh, I don't believe it. Or worse, stone you, kill you, persecute you, whatever. But for those who believe in 2023, you have been kept. You have been on God's mind. You have a job to do. That God wants you to do something, and I, I don't know what that is. Everybody has a different race to run. But that evidence isn't always evidence that's tangible. It isn't always a balance in your account. It isn't always lots of friends. It isn't always, it, sometimes it feels like the loneliest road that ever was. A lot of times it does. I guarantee you Paul was not the most popular guy in the New Testament. I can guarantee it. Paul, Paul was a truth teller even in the midst of Christian circles. And generally speaking, that gets you uninvited to stuff. We'll just say it that way. So the faith that Christ gave to you is a gift. We talked about that a few weeks back, that faith is a gift. God gives it to you. It's like a radio antenna. You're able to tune into him. Other people miss that frequency. They miss that radio station. It's a big deal. 23, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be relieved, or excuse me, revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. It's a huge deal. If you've ever had a tutor before or, or a really mean teacher, I've had several. Um, I won't mention them. I'm going to mention one that was an awesome teacher. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. So the tutor is this thing. And I thought about this. The law is like a teacher. And they, on the first day of class, just like I was in Algebra 2 with Mr. Gary Klein uh, at Wheaton North High. Um, thank God Gary Klein was my golf coach, too. And he liked me. Because Algebra 2 was like giving somebody a Greek Bible and saying, you're preaching? This Sunday on that, I don't know if you've ever preached before, and I don't know if you've ever seen a Greek word before, but this is your job. Get up there and do it. That's what Algebra 2 was to me. Can't do it. Terrified of it. Can't read it. Don't understand any of it. Not one. So the teacher comes in and gives you this, that, like, here it is. It's Greek. And everybody goes, eh, we don't really need to listen to you. And the teacher goes, well, there's going to be a test next week. And people go, oh, whatever. And when the test comes, everybody fails. Everybody fails the test. And then the teacher says, guess what? You all failed. 
people, some kids can go, well, it's garbage. You know, you're not, you're, I, I don't, I don't recognize your authority. I don't believe you exist. That is what some people say about God. And then there's others who go, can you help me? Can you help me pass this test? Could you give me extra credit? Could you whatever? Could you tutor me? Yes, I can tutor you. Now, what has to happen when somebody comes to a teacher that they hate the content, they're not interested in the class, they don't really like the teacher? I have had that experience, not with this guy, but another couple classes. When you come humbly and you go, hey, I know I mess around a lot in class. I know I talk during class. I know I distract, but I really need help. I've never had a teacher say, I won't help you. I never had one say that. The good news is when the teacher uh, hears that and you admit your failure and you admit your best attempts weren't good enough, they go, hey, guess what? I'm just going to give you an A plus for that humility. That's the deal we got in Christ. That is the deal. When you come and you go, I believe you, I believe your words, I believe you are who you said you are, and I believe that I definitely failed, and I have failed more than one time. Like I said, there's, there's students in the class that go, eh, I don't need your charity. I'll earn it myself. Okay, you, you're going to learn to speak Greek in a week and pass my test? Great. Let's do it. Let's watch you. Uh, with zero resources, by the way. Just looking at the, the shapes that look like alphabet soup and then figuring out how to put them together and guess that they might be right. Um, that teacher that I had, the Algebra 2 teacher who was my golf coach, I failed the class. I failed the final. And I went in the next day and looked at his little, he posted the, the he, he wrote them out uh, and he posted it inside the glass the door was locked, but it was posted, and it said C minus, F on the final. And I did not. I had like a, probably a 68%, which is definitely a fail, uh, in that class, and then failed the final and got a C minus, which is a 70%. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he goes, I guess you kept me pretty happy this year, Mr. Swanson. That was complete grace and fraud. But that's okay. Um, how I graduated high school is fraud. Um, anybody that, that taught me and graded quizzes knows. But that's the deal we have. You get somebody else's righteousness. You get somebody else's A-plus on the test given to you. But you have to admit that you are a lawbreaker. You have to admit that you are under it, that it's over you, that it has authority, that God has this. Therefore, the law was our tutor. What's the point? What's the point of the law? What's the point of God, of Matthew 5, 6, and 7? A much harder, expounded law, because it doesn't just go on what you do, it goes on what you think. Failure, 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 day in and day out. I need Jesus. That's why. That's, Christ is another tutor. The Holy Spirit's another tutor. But we'll get into that next week. So quickly, verses 26 through 29. So he, that's the purpose of the law. That's the whole purpose. 26 through 29 is, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Once again, you know, this is a Jewish slash Gentile community. So you do have 
Um, people talking about Abraham's seed, people talking about Gentiles, people, you know, the, a lot of the Jewish people would say things like, oh, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God I'm not a Cretan or a barbarian or one of those people. A lot of, that was, a, that was how a lot of Jewish people talked in this day. But in our day, we talk about um, the hot buttons of racism and this and that. And what he's trying to tell us is if you are in Christ, there's no more classes. Now, in India, there's classes. Uh, you know, you've got all the classes. I forget them all. But from the untouchables to the Brahmin to uh, up, it, up it goes the, to reincarnate up and try and, like, die up and, and get into something better than if you happen to be born into something horrible. And in this life, you could be born in the worst situation ever and accept Christ. You could be the most powerful person in the world and accept Christ. And he's saying there is neither Jew or Greek, you people, you Galatians, you Judaizers, you people who think you know everything. There isn't a Jewish and a, a Greek distinction in Christ. There isn't. There is neither slave nor free. We don't live in a, in a society where people own people anymore, but that was very, very real for most, and in, in other countries it is, still going on. But in our day, what we need to know is there is nobody, no bishop, no pastor, no missionary, no rock star pastor who wears tight pants and has great hair and water slides the, the baptismal people down and has a $10 million home. They're, they're not on a, on a different level than you. Whoever you are in Christ, you could be the weakest five-year-old like, like Journey, my nine-year-old, the most excited little evangelist, is on the same level as Billy Graham, according to the gospel. So you're a son, daughter. You're an heir of the throne. You're an heir of heaven. You will ultimately be there if you are in Christ through faith. So there's a lot in that, I know, and we're going to get into more of that, a really cool analogy in chapter four next week. But Paul says, look, anybody in Christ through faith is a child of God. And once again, he doesn't put himself, when you read any of Paul, he doesn't put himself above us. He doesn't put himself in a different class and he doesn't tell other people, hey, well, you know, Peter's a bigger deal than Andrew. And Matthias, you know, he was the last guy. And only reason is because Judas gave up his, his position. So he's kind of like low man on the totem pole. They didn't act like that. Paul didn't act. Like these people were so persecuted that any Christian was like, brother, sister, this is great. It's just great to see you. But we live in such a casual culture here where we, we live in a culture where it's like, eh, church, eh, body of believers, we can kind of survive without it because we have so much freedom. But sometimes that freedom allows us to be lazy, allows us to adrift, allows us to go off on our own and do whatever we want. And the law and life and all of it is that captive tutor that kind of whips you back, right? It gets you back to the, to the sheepfold. So your, your position in the here and now does not matter. We're all on the same level from the disciples to the apostles to Abraham, Moses. There's no one, as Jesus said, there's no one who's a bigger deal than John the Baptist of men born of women, of, of human beings born of women. There's nobody. And the least will be greater in that position on this, on this side of things. I want to close by um, reading this quote from Dan Stone. Knowing our true identity brings us many benefits, two of which I want to highlight. First, knowing our true identity gives us a deep awareness of this vital truth. 
uh, Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says it again. There is no condemnation from God. There is to be no condemnation from ourselves either. If you want to take condemnation, you, he says, you go ahead and take it. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. The evil one and the world try to put it on us because it works. It works real well, especially in a society where everything is do and don't. People um, hear this all the time in their minds. You're no good. Remember that promise you made to God? <clears throat> You're not keeping it. We do a pretty good job of heaping condemnation on ourselves as well. But there is no condemnation <clears throat> in Christ, so don't take it. As we grow spiritually, we learn the difference between the Spirit's voice and the evil one's voice. The Spirit never witnesses to your spirit in condemnation. He might check you sometimes and say, wait a minute, but not in condemnation. He might tell you you're wrong, but not in condemnation. Rebuke you, correct you, point out error, but he never condemns. He wants you to be built up, to undergird you, to increase your understanding of the life of God you have in you. He wants you to see how God sees you. You are a saint, a holy one. You are blameless. You are beyond reproach. <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you again for realigning our minds and our thinking. God, that we know that in you, Christ, there is no condemnation because you were condemned for us. You were condemned for sin and you said it is finished and you said that this is true. The gospel is true. And so we can rest in you. We can have faith in you, even though sometimes our faith isn't what we see. Sometimes we struggle with the material things around us, the, the temporal, the physical. But God, to know that you loved us enough that thousands of years before you even died, that this plan was put into motion, that you would save millions and billions of people through your sacrifice, and that you would tell them, you would declare that there is no condemnation. God, for those of us who... Uh, have just had a lot lately. God, I pray that you would whisper that to our hearts. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to really spend time uh, meditating on that fact. And God, for those that are um, sick, uh, recovering, or going through uh, something that is um, anonymous to the people around them, I pray that you would comfort them, and I pray that you would be their teacher in Jesus' name. Amen.